0: We have a a good opportunity this morning. We've been considering the story of God's people, the story of Israel, and the people that uh, we are now grafted into, and it turns out that today, the topic for the entirety of the morning is Abraham, and if there's one thing that I learned about Abraham, I don't know about you, but from the earliest ages, the one thing I learned about Abraham is that he's not just Abraham, he's Father Abraham, and so this entire section that we're looking at today, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, you can begin to turn there, is going to be instructive for many reasons. One, I want to explain why it is that we're going here. We have been reading through and studying and praying over and considering the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 9 and 10, Paul is wrestling with one major question. That is essentially what happens now to ethnic Israel. Has God rejected his people? Are they going to be lost forever? What is happening with Israel? That's the question. And we just finished chapter 10, and there's going to be a turn, a turn in faith for Paul in Romans chapter 11, and that is that he's going to say there's a future for Israel. So before we get there in August, we wanted to take some time to rehearse and to remember the story of God's people. So we are going back to think together on what God has been doing through his people down through the ages. That's reason number one. A second reason we're going to Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, It's because no one can tell the story of Israel without discussing Abraham. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, we saw last week that Stephen, standing before the high priest, he's there under threat of his life. He begins to speak, and he wants to tell them the story of God's people. He's defending himself, and he starts with this phrase in Acts 7, the God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. That's how he tells his own story. That's how he tells the high priest he should understand why he's where he is. So it begins with Abraham. Then finally, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham, and I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an invitation again to read this story as your story, to think about the reality that what God is doing in Israel is in order to bless us, What God is doing in calling Abraham is in order to call you. What God is giving Abraham as an example is an example that's set forth for us to trust God more fully. So in the biggest of all pictures, we're reading our history, our story. And then furthermore, I believe that it's a good bit of calendar serendipity that, of course, today is Father's Day. And so for many of us, as we reflect on Father Abraham, there will be opportunities and that is exactly what they are. They are opportunities to identify, to consider what it is that makes fathering important. What makes a father a good father? What is it that sticks in this identity or this role? What is it that sticks in the hearts and the minds of people most influenced by fathering? This will hopefully form and shape the way that we honor our own dad's And then for many of us who hold the mantle and have the responsibility and the wonderful gift that it is to be a father, that we might learn and be challenged and encouraged by Abraham. That being said, I'm going to begin Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 12. I want to read the first nine verses. Uh, Abram, as a, a man, was introduced in the verses just prior to this at the end of 11, but I'm going to start his story directly in Genesis chapter 12. There'll be one detail we'll go back to at the end of 11, but for now... So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. I would love to take a moment and pray with you. So let's pray together. God, I ask that you would encourage us this morning. We certainly could use some life. We could use courage. We've come full of hopes. You've planted in our hearts a sense of eternity, a sense of belonging, a sense of longing for right and wrong in the world, for justice. And we imagine, we have desires for blessing and hopes for the future. So God, please meet us and encourage us to keep on. We also have brought difficulties and doubts. Many of us are hurting this morning. We're distracted. We do not want to face the things that we need to face. And so God, we pray for strength. Help us to be people of conviction this morning. God, I ask that your word would be what we have learned that it is and confessed that it is, that it would be living and active. May your word cut us, separate what needs to be separated, help us to be laid bare before you. God, I ask specifically as we study the life of Abraham, we've been taught since we were young children to sing of and think of Father Abraham, I pray we'd learn well the lessons a fathering in his life, to see how it is that you began a family, your family, the family of God, begun here with this man. We're not smart enough, we're not wise enough to do this, but we are confident that you are here, you're present. So Spirit of God, take our minds, take our hearts, and help us to see, to think, to feel, and then to act Rightly. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you describe your father? My guess is, is that if you're a, a dutiful child, or at least as, maybe as a part of the way that you honored your fathers, at some time over the last number of hours, maybe I should say if you already have this son, you're an overachiever. Anybody already fill out a card for dad? I mean, today's the day, if I need to remind you, but maybe you were an overachiever and you have it filled out ahead of time. There came a point when you probably put pencil or pen to paper, you wanted to say something like this, dad, thank you so much for, then how do you fill in the blanks? You say, dad, thanks so much for being funny. For many of us, dad, thanks so much for always thinking that you're funny. (laughs) Dad, thank you for working so hard. Or, dad, I always remember how much you love mom. Or, dad, thank you for being there for me. Or, dad, thank you X, Y, Z. How would you describe your father? That's a task that we have before us. How are we going to describe Abraham as the father of Israel? What does it mean that he is the father? And that's what's going to be the most common term for Abraham through the rest of our Bibles. It's when Stephen started with, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. How do we describe and what words do we put over the top of his life? Now, there's one dominant word. Abraham is a man of, and you could probably fill in the blank, he's a man of faith. Faith is going to be the dominant word, and so it would be unfair and perhaps not truthful for me to say there's any one more defining factor than faith for Abraham. Faith is going to be the, the banner over his life. But I also think there are some characteristics Some descriptions that are tied to faith that mark the way that he lived, and I want us to learn from these and to think on these things. I think what we're going to find as we consider his life, starting here in Genesis 12, what we'll go through in a moment, we're going to find that he had a faith that was based on grace. So if we connect his faith, first thing we're going to say about him is he was a man made by grace. His faith was made by grace. That's one characteristic that we can't overlook. Another thing that we're going to say about Abraham is that he had a faith that was put into action. He was not passive. He had a kind of faith that was demonstrable. The people around him, his children, his loved ones, anyone who was influenced by him, saw that faith for Abraham meant that he was not docile. He was not inactive, but active. So he had faith that was activated. So first, he had a faith that was made by grace. And second, he had a faith that was activated. And the third thing that we might say about Abraham is that he was a man who had a faith that was expressed back to God. He was was led by or moved by a faith that moved him to worship. He had a worshipful faith. It wasn't enough that he believed these things or said them. They weren't some doctrine or some thought that he learned back in college one day and could repeat. If you asked him, he was a man who rehearsed this regularly. He rehearsed his faith in worship. That would be something you could say about Abraham. So he had faith that was made by grace, he had faith that was activated and put into action, he had faith that was expressed regularly. In worship, And then finally, a thing that we could say about Abraham, something we could learn from, is that he was a man who, as a father, had faith that was not fragile, not pristine, not set up on some shelf somewhere. It wasn't the wedding china of his life. He had a faith that was tested by fire. If you had to describe his faith in the hundred years or so that we see Abraham and learn of him, you would say that his Faith bore some scars. It had seen a few things. Abraham had a faith that had been sunburned. A faith that had experienced some disappointment. A faith that had, had to endure male pattern baldness. A faith that showed scars of having lived. That's the kind of faith we're after. Faith tested by fire. So let's consider these together and see if we can't learn what it looks like to be a father, uh, the man that God calls us to be in our families. How does Abraham act in the family of God? Well, the first thing to say about him is that he, is, he has faith that's made by grace. And by that I mean there's nothing about Abraham that seems all that impressive. He's described at the end of chapter 11 as being a son of Terah, who up to this point is a mostly unremarkable man living in a nondescript area, a place that is probably secular in all the ways you could imagine, worshiping foreign gods. The one enduring and endearing quality that Abram has prior to when we find out about him in the beginning of chapter 12 is that he has a wife. A wife, Sarai, who's a dutiful wife and with him, but even built into that, is a measure of disappointment, a measure of something that is not merited. She is, according to verse 30, without child. She is barren. And so it's this nondescript son of a mostly nondescript man in a nondescript place, worshiping pagan gods, with a wife, but no children, that we come to the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 and out of nowhere... God initiates. That's what grace is. It's God initiating to someone who has no merit. Out of nowhere, Genesis chapter 12 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go. The fact that God speaks and comes near and sets out and puts his love and his affection and his command, the fact that he gives a command to Abram should strike us as an act of grace. Abraham's life as a father begins with the realization and reckoning with the fact that he did not deserve any of the good things that God was promising him or bringing his way. It doesn't start at the beginning of chapter 12. Now, the Lord came to the winner of Near Eastern Idol, or whatever you'd call it. I don't know what the cool show is now. HGT. He didn't win HGT. Haran's got talent. You know what I'm saying? He didn't win a contest. There's no resume here. There's no CV. He doesn't have a list of civic engagements. He didn't qualify for bright futures. He's just a man. And God says, I'm going to make you a father. And I have to believe that anyone who's experienced fathering feels this in some way. The first time that nurses told me, yes, take these children home, I felt totally unqualified. I'm just a man. Are you serious? I'm supposed to take these humans. Abraham's entire life is marked by and moved by grace. God graciously comes to him. God graciously speaks. More than that, he commands him. And what we're going to find out in the story of Abraham is that wherever God commands, that is the same thing as blessing. What God commands is his blessing because there is no alternate life, no other timeline that you can live outside of God's command that gives you greater joy or greater blessing. So the fact that God comes to him, this nondescript, no other amazing resume to speak of, man, means that his fathering comes completely and totally by grace. What the world needs... What God's people needed is not a self-made man, not a winner of a contest, not a someone who is proud of their own achievements, not someone who said, God, I'm going to do it on my own and impress you, then we'll partner together. No, what God's people needed was a father made by grace. The story of Abraham's life all throughout is going to be unmerited favor. He does not live a perfect life. He sins and he needs grace. He does not live a perfectly faith filled life. He doubts and he needs grace. All that he receives is from the hand of God. There are seven promises given to Abraham, just rapid fire. God could not wait to hand out these commands. He's one command, go from your country, and then here's the blessings that will follow. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then finally, the defining blessing of all that is given to Abraham, the one that makes us here in 2022 talk about him, that through this father, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed through this one father. These promises are given to then Abram. And I know that if you're a, if you're a, a biblical scholar in particular about these things, you may be cringing because you're like, he's not Abraham yet, actually. And you're pushing your glasses up. And I know, I know, but for the sake of ease this morning, I'm just going to say Abraham the whole time, and I think we know who we're talking about. So Abraham receives these promises for no other reason than God is gracious and i think the things that makes him endearing or something we can learn from him is that any father worth his salt is someone who would be able to look back and say i am not a self-made man i am not a father of my own devices what i have received has come from god this motivates us in a few different ways being a person whose faith or whose fathering is made by grace means that we will be humbled not proud. He is not a proud father. He is one that has received and is therefore humble. More than that, when we understand that all we've been given is a gift of God, something we did not merit, but it has come from Him, it will make us responsible in a way that nothing else can. Because Abraham learns something, and it moves us to the next characteristic of his faith. He knows that he is received by grace from God, and it moves him not only to be humbled, but he has a responsibility now. Father Abraham is one whom God has set responsibility. Because he is received, he must act. That's a second thing we could say, something that is very notable about Abraham's Faith. Not only is it forged by grace and carried along by grace, but it moves him to act. Verse 4 says so plainly, so Abram went. What God told him, what God gave him, how God moved near him and gave him these promises, Abraham put into action. He did not sit by passively he knew that in reckoning in his heart and his mind that god was and that god is a giver of blessing and promises for those who trust him his faith was put on display my favorite professor in seminary described theology as application of the word of god by persons by people to all of life i love this definition because it means theology is not something kept in a book on a shelf That what we learn about God, when we learn about God, it's to be applied, it's to be internalized, it's to show up somewhere in the way that we live. And everything about Abraham's life from the moment that he receives the grace of God is different, it's put into action, he moves. In order for him to move, he must have been convinced of at least the following, God is, we have no record that he knew of God before this, he is convinced that God is, not only that God is, but he is trustworthy, he is the true God. More than that, that his promises would come true, and that he could look at his life, his father's house, his wife, his brother, the people around him, and he can say, we must leave and go. I don't know where we're going, but sacrifice is nothing compared to the trustworthiness of God. Abraham had a kind of faith that allowed him to sacrifice and call other people to sacrifice because he was sure of the blessings of God. That would come. He moved. Many of us stumble over the examples of faith that we've been given or handed down because many times they seem so sterile. It's a faith that seems like it's been put on a shelf, a faith that seems like mere assent. But Abraham offered to all of his offspring and anyone near him a faith that was put into action. A faith that obeyed. A faith that moved. And it was this faith, this response of grace and faith that moved God then to give him a covenant, a relationship with him, to bind him together. It was this faith that moved that brings us to Genesis chapter 15. We read verses 5 and 6 of Genesis 15. God brings Abraham outside and says to him, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. You know, just imagine before light pollution, and you can see a lot of stars so if you were able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, being Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. This faith that trusted in God's promises, trusted enough to move, trusted enough to be put on display, it was this kind of faith that God reckoned as righteousness. I believe that what we can learn from this is that we ought to be careful about a kind of faith that is mere lip service, that there is a sort of faith that is without works and is therefore dead. And Abraham demonstrates not only a deep-seated belief in God, but a life that matches movement in that regard. So I can think of moments. Can you think of moments when Abraham put his faith into practice, he obeys immediately and marches on not knowing where he's supposed to go. Can you recall here in the moment when God points to the sky and he sees the stars that Abraham says, yes, I believe. And it is in this belief that he is reckoned righteous. Can you recall a time when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his own son and he dutifully does so. And I think to myself, this is a kind of faith that is demonstrated and I want to imitate. We can learn from Abraham's faith and the when, he, when he nails it, when he gets it right. But here's the thing. I believe we can also learn from Abraham in the moments that he gets it wrong. Because just as often, Abraham struggles with his actions Because he does not believe. There's times when doubt comes in. His faith is not pristine, but it is persistent. An adage as old as time. It wasn't only when he was upright, but what he did when he fell down that mattered, right? He falls down, he gets back up. Abraham is a man of persistent faith. We can learn from him in the moments of his weakness as much as we can in the moments of when he nails it. I have to confess to you that when I think of fathering, my vision, my dream is that I'm carried along from one moment of fathering glory to the next. I want everyone around me, including my children, to learn from my strengths. The times when you're basically Superman. I heard a story of a dad recently that made me think, yeah, that's how I want to be and how I want to be remembered. I heard a little girl's voice full of joy, and her eyes light up, describing a moment when her dad had spent a couple of weeks ahead of time preparing for them to go on a camping trip. He spent hours going up and down a river, charting out a treasure map, and burying in the sand glass jars of jelly beans, and leaving them there for weeks. And then when he gets on the canoe with his family to go, he goes on ahead and drops a bottle out with a little note and a map and then plays it all cool like he didn't know it was there so his kids could find it. And they spend the next few hours going and delighting in the candy that they're digging up so they can have it while they're camping. And I'm listening to this story and I'm just thinking, I quit, I'll never dad again. (laughs) It's just over, you can't top this. And I think of that story and I think, yeah, that's what that father wanted. He wanted his moments of glory. He's caped. He basically, he's a superman. Dads, you want your greatest strengths, the moments when you believed and you acted and you did everything perfect, you want that to teach and instruct. And I believe there will be moments like that. But one of the amazing things about Abraham's life is that it's all on display for us these hundred years. And there's many moments when we learn from him just as instructive of moments when he's caped and perfect in faith is what he does when He fails. You see, he has, he has obedient actions of faith, but he also has consistent and persistent repentant acts of faith. He just keeps coming back. For a father, it is just as important to be caped and righteous in the moments he spends with God. It is just as important to glory in those as it is to glory in the moments when he tells all of those around him, I missed it, I missed the mark, but God is still faithful and I'm going back. That's faith in action. It leads to both obedience and repentance. And this example from Abraham is wildly productive in the life of Israel. Because all of us know that we can't be pristine all the time. And so we, as the children of Father Abraham, and our offspring and the people around us are going to be looking, what does action look like when you fail, Dad? The question becomes, is it demonstrated? Demonstrated in action of obedience and repentance. So Abraham is faith that is made by grace. He receives grace of God and it moves him to faith, but not just any old faith, it's a faith that is put into action. Third, a thing that we see from Abraham, and it's mentioned here and then stays for the rest of his life, he insists on worship. It's faith that is expressed. He rehearses these things, So we read twice in Genesis chapter 12 that while he's going at particular places, he pauses and he builds an altar. When God blesses, Abraham responds by expressing aloud what he has received. He pauses to build altars. He pauses to call upon the name of the Lord. And in that way, I would say that we learn from Abraham as a father, not only in his going. You see, Abraham was going, going, going. These are months-long journeys across the desert. you imagine all that's entailed in, in herding sheep or cattle or whatever else along? He was busy in the provision of life. Abraham had to lead and he had to care for and provide for his wife. And keep her encouraged, and he had to make sure that all the flocks are going along, and he had to fight off the animals, I'm sure. I don't know what kind of animals are, are fighting, but I'm sure he had to have business meetings where he said, man, we lost four sheep again to the rabid camel, or whatever it was that ate them. I don't know how it worked then. The point is that he had to do work. He was go, go, go. He moved. But what was just as instructive about Abraham as a father was not only that he moved and acted, but that He stopped. And when Abraham stopped, he was teaching. What he said to his family and to his whole caravan was that to pause and to respond to the voice of God and to rehearse what he's done for us, to worship is not a waste. So Father Abraham led his family in his going But just as powerfully, he led his family in his stopping. The question becomes, is worship of God a negotiable in the way that you live out and demonstrate your life? But the people around you say that your attitude toward worship is that it's mainly a waste of time, that we could have gotten so much more accomplished. We could have rested. We could have worked. We could have played. We could have eaten. We could have done anything else. But Abraham demonstrates for us, in his going, he provides. He's not a monk on a hill. He's having to do a lot of things. But he's also intentional in his stopping because he wants to rehearse who God is and what he's done. And he refuses to allow his life to be worshipped less. And we learn. We learn from Abraham in these moments I read a a religious study it was put out by a sociological group about 10 years ago. And they were asking people questions about religious practice and belief and how long they had held on or the things that they had questioned or where they ended up. And of all the factors that went into what does any random 40-year-old person believe and do or practice in religious faith, there was one towering cause over all of the rest, the faith of one's father. There is no more powerful, no more keeping, no more influential lesson in life for children than a dad who says, come what may, we worship. Come what may, I have received grace and we have received grace. And if everyone else on planet Earth forgets or gets going so fast We will not forget, we will stop, and we will remember. I believe that there is no more transformative force in all the world than humble, grace-receiving men taking responsibility for a response to God in worship and looking at all of those around them and saying, we will go to God. This leading in worship does not have to look fancy. It doesn't have to come with a seminary degree. You don't have to play the organ. You can be a little grumpy on the way to church in the car. You can get there a little bit late. The question is, are you stopping and are you pausing and what is being communicated? Over and over again in Abraham's life, despite all that was going on, he worships. This is, after all, what it means for him to be the father of the people of God. It was God who defined his life and defined the identity of their family. Otherwise, he would have just been father of a people. But he knew to be the father of the people of God, then he must be near to God. You know, another thing about Abraham's faith, in addition to the fact that it was faith that came on the heels of grace and faith that was put into action and obedience and repentance, not only that it was a faith that paused regularly and was rehearsed out loud, one of the most striking things about Abraham is that he was a man who had a faith that was tested by fire. You know, you look through, it's 100 years. He's 75 when God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and he's 175 when he's gathered up to his people Scripture says, in those 100 years, no one could accuse Abraham of having an easy, Pollyannish kind of life. You know the accusation that Satan brings concerning Job? Well, of course he's faithful. Nothing ever happens to him. You have him living in a country club with a chef. Life's just easy. That is not Abraham's life. Think about from the way the story begins. Abraham's faith is tested in the first few moments of struggle in the desert when he does not know where he's going. I can imagine the wind is whipping, and the sun is beating down, losing animals and resources, and they finally get to the place that he thinks, I, I think this is where we're going. He's holding out the GPS and he's got the compass going. He's like, we're supposed to go over the Euphrates and it's over here. And he finally gets there and the text says, and the Canaanites were in the land. It's occupied. He had 75 miles to the top of the mountain at the one remote campsite and when he gets there, there's people already sleeping. He's tested. More than that, you'd say to yourself, Well, maybe it was a hard journey, but when he gets there, he's going to have all the support of his family because he's going to be the a great nation. I'm sure that though his wife was barren, once he gets this command that he's going to have a lot of children, everything's going to be fine. The answer to that, of course, is no. Abraham and his wife endure infertility not for one month, not for one year, but for decades worth of years. Do you know that couple? I've had friends, people that I've known that are that couple, they plan, out their, they plan out their marriage and their future down to the very month. Say, oh, well, you know, actually in April of 2027 is when we'll get pregnant and we'll have a kid nine months later. And then the most irritating thing about that is sometimes that happens. But that is not the story for many. There are many who pray and many who cry and many who wonder, and many who experience the tragedy and the loss of miscarriage. In Abraham's life, his quest, his need to have faith was through moments when he was tearful and wondered why and struggled with doubt. Because the promise is out there to be the father of a great nation, but he has no son. His faith was tested. His faith is tested further because it's not enough that he finally gets a child, but God says, I'm going to test you to see your loyalty, your obedience to me. I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And it's not in the story because it's just one verse to the next, but you read Genesis chapter 22 and you imagine how long does it take to get up to the top of the mountain? How many steps sweating and hiking with gear up the hill? How many moments would Abraham have been tempted to say, that's it, I'm out. I can't do it. But instead, Scripture tells us in Hebrews that he believed that God was able to bring life even through death, that he would resurrect Isaac if necessary, and so he walks in a faith that is tested by sacrifice. Stephen tells us later of Abraham and summarizing his story in Acts chapter 7 that of all of the promises for the land, which we just read about in Genesis chapter 12, not one inch, not one foot was given to Abraham. So one of the most amazing things about this man is that he's faithful through to the end in a faith that was tested by fire. Not naive, not ignorant of grief, He was acquainted with doubt. He had to go back again and again to repent. And yet he persisted. The story of Abraham is 100 years of faith being tested and found to be refined and pure through the fire. I recall so many times growing up that I neglected in my immaturity the true lessons that I was learning from my dad. I suppose there was a lot of times that I wished that my dad would have taught me by gathering me around a fireplace and lighting his pipe and talking about Chesterton. But that did not happen. Instead, what happened is year after year, an example of my dad getting up super early in the morning in the dead of winter, oftentimes driving through blowing snow for 20 to 30 minutes to check in prior to 7 a.m. and to work at the flour mill, picking up every shift that he possibly could, oftentimes seven days a week for years on end to make sure that we had basketball shoes or could go to the camps that we needed to go to. And so often... In my immaturity, it was easy to tease and to say, wow, dad, you're taking a nap again, huh? Sleeping a lot, not very talkative, dad. I can remember the instances, the moments I'd see him laid out on the living room floor. He'd be sleeping and I'd think to myself, well, this is going to be funny because the other thing about it is through all that work, there were times that he sustained injuries and watching my dad get up from a long nap on the floor was about a 20-minute process. shamefully, many times to my delight. It looked pretty funny. Take him like a minute and a half to move one knee. He'd roll over and get up and stay there for a while until he could move. What I didn't realize is that my dad was teaching me steadfastness, showing me what it looked like to keep working. Showing me what it looked like to provide for a family. He just kept showing up. And I'm so grateful for years in maturity to look back and to say, what a gift. What an amazing thing to see steadfastness to see a life with a backbone. For someone to just keep going. I can recall times when my dad walked through the illness, devastating cancer in his sister, who was his connection to his family, his one delight. A believer, a source of joy, encouragement to our family. And I watched... Him wrestle with, seeing her decimated and lost. I had conversations with my dad. I remember being worried for him. He had all these whys. Like, well, why this and why her? He was angry at God for a good while. And then he just kept worshiping. He just took all of his whys and he took all of the questions, the things that he didn't know and just laid them at God's feet and he just kept coming back. He found healing and hope. And I think to myself, there are a lot of ways that much of my dad's life is not gracious. It's not... It's not, he's not a ballerina by any means. He's not tiptoeing his way in a life of ease. He's not going to pull up into heaven on a pristine, perfect cloud. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the simple, consistent, keep-going kind of faith that he showed me throughout my whole life. I believe what the world needs and what the people of God needed in Abraham's life. He didn't accomplish everything. He didn't succeed. He didn't have the land. He didn't know where his family was going to go. He failed many times. But he persisted in a steadfast faith as through fire. And what we have in Abraham, the reason that he's remembered the reason he's an encouragement is because he was a father with, with a backbone, a father with a belief, a father with conviction, a kind of faith that moved towards God when it was difficult. And I'm grateful for so many men who follow his example. So many stories of imperfect, plodding along, just going to make it another day kind of stories. The fathers who are here. The fathers who are there. Ultimately, you may say, well, what does we're reading? I remember we were reading Romans a while ago and then we went to Acts 7 and what does this story have to do with me? I want to look at Galatians chapter 3 to remind you what it has to do with you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So then, the apostle Paul says, Those who are of faith, are you of faith? If so, then you are blessed right along with Abraham who is remembered as the man of faith. It was Abraham's faith that was forged in grace. It was his faith that moved him to action. His faith that led him again and again to worship and finally his faith that was tested as through fire. It was that faith that God uses to set in motion a plan of redemption leading to you and I in Leon County in 2022 hearing the voice of God and trusting him And believing in him for redemption. When we read the story of Abraham, Father Abraham, this is our story. Because we are those of faith, he is our father. And my desire for a morning like this is that we would learn from him. So my invitation for you is to see that in the story of Abraham, that God was working for you. In the story of Abraham, God was blessing a people, creating a people so that you would be blessed. That in the story of Abraham, he was promising a seed. That one day, through Abraham's line, a son would come. That he would live a perfect life that you and I could not live. That's what the righteousness of Jesus is. It is the holiness that we need but cannot accomplish. And that that same Offspring, that same son would eventually die a sinner's death to exchange his life for yours. So that all the promises of blessing and remaining and future that were given to Abraham through Christ would come to fruition to all of those who would believe. The encouragement this morning is for us to be like our faithful father of faith and believe. Let's pray.